Welcome back, everyone, to the Six Figure Social Worker Podcast. It's your girl, LA. I am your Six Figure Social Worker. If this is your first time tuning in, I am Lashana Alfred. I am the founder and the creator of this podcast, Six Figure Social Worker. This podcast was designed to teach social workers how to make a living while you're making a difference. And today, I will be talking about, or my focus will be on private practice. So stay tuned. Welcome back. So for those of you who anticipate listening to this podcast once a week, I apologize. It has been a few weeks and it has been busy over here. It has been really, really busy. And so um, this is what I decided to do. I have been giving a list of questions by some aspiring social workers, um, just asking me about how I got started and first steps to um, starting a private practice or opening private practice. And so what I decided to do is go through those lists of questions and share with you what I share with um, the social work class that was asking me these questions. And so this is what I need everyone to understand that is listening to this podcast. There's levels to this. There is levels to this. And so when I talk about the hard part, right, depending on what level you are in the field of social work, and what do I mean by level? So if you are um, that level where you're an employee and you have a caseload and you're required to produce um, so many hours of productivity, right? So that's a different type of hard or a different type of struggle from someone who may be a clinical director, right? Or who may be um, in private practice. So it's levels to this. And so a lot of times I'm going to be coming from um, uh, the, the more of the private practice clinical director type of position, but I will be sharing the knowledge and the experience that I have as a um, employee that had to carry a caseload, that had to make sure documentation was completed on time, that had to make sure I um, met productivity hours and all of that stuff. But and so that's so when I'm talking about hard part, I will distinguish between um, individuals who may be having that type of um, responsibility, right? A caseload, doing documentation and all of that versus um, someone in private practice. So today when I'm talking about the hard part, I was sharing with individuals because they asked me. Um, how do they do the things that I do? And I had to really sit back and say, wait, hold on. Not all social workers are doing what I'm doing. And that, that's not to um, minimize or make myself seem like I'm more superior than anyone else. That's not it. The reason why this is very important because I have interns who, you know, um, have been watching me for years, I, I assume, and well, not I assume, but that they, they shared, been watching me for years and they were thinking, yes, I want to be under her. I want, you know, her to supervise me as I do my internship. But what they didn't realize is the work, right? The work and, the, and, and it didn't come easy. So for me, the hard part was making it through my own stuff. Right, making it through my I'm own not sure stuff. I understand. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> I hear that. That's my iWatch. She said, I'm not sure I understand. So let me make sure you guys understand. 
Okay, so the hard part for me was making it through my own issues, right? Making sure that I had healed from any abandonment issues, any uh, rejection or crazy relationships that I had been in and that I wasn't carrying that into my practice, right? Into this, the field of social work. I had to make sure that I was doing self-assessment before I went out and assess others. I had to make sure that I had forgiven others before I began to teach others on how to forgive, right? And so that was the hard part, bringing my own self under subjection and the personal change that needed to happen in my own life, right? So I need us to get that. So as I began to look at where I am now and position as a supervisor, position as a um, minority business owner, one who um, teaches social work classes and mentor individuals in this field, I had to sit back and say, okay, wait, this part comes easy because I went through that other part, right? The hard part. And so when social workers come to me and they saying, um, oh, I have to get through school or I had to, you know, juggle the, the papers and, you know, internship and working and kids and all of that. Sometimes I have no sympathy, right? And the reason why I say I have no sympathy because I'm saying that's a part of it, right? That's a part of it. And if you come to, you know, um, my agency and you're, you're um, wanting me to be lenient, then I'm doing you a disservice and you're not prepared for this field, right? Because for me, it really is your ability to manage and juggle all of that. Because after school, you're still going to have to work, right? You're still going to have to, you know, have these other responsibilities. And so it's one of those things where you have to make sure that you put in your mind, this is my goal. This is what I have to do in order to reach this particular goal and not whine, along the way, right? Not mm-hmm. whine along the way. And that's really important because there's a place and a time for whining, right? And to your supervisor, that's not the place, the time, or the person, right? Because when you're at work, they're looking at the bottom line. Can you do the work, right? All of us have stories. All of us, you know, have been through something in one way or the other. You're not living um, without experiencing death of a loved one without experiencing um, stressful events, right? And so you going through the normal natural things of life is not important to um, a supervisor. What's important to the supervisor is, is what you're going through going to prevent you from doing the work? Now that's just the reality. That's just the reality. Take it or leave it. And then I want you, because I was there, right? I was that employee. I was that employee that thought, oh, well, people are just um, concerned about the money. They don't care about the clients. But this is what I realized as I moved up and as my perception changed, right? What I realized is that it's not that agencies are so concerned about the money aspect, right? The financial aspect. But the reality is, if you didn't get paid, would you have an issue? Selah. Pause and think about that. So what if you didn't get paid? Would it be fair for the agency to say you're just about the money? Right? 
That's one aspect. But the other aspect is when we're talking about productivity, the question becomes, if you have enough people on your caseload that you can see that will bring in the productivity, when you don't reach the productivity, it says that client care is not happening. Selah. Ponder and think about that. And so this is where, you know, I had to really, I had the opportunity to begin to see it from different perspectives, right? Because again, I didn't want, and don't get me wrong, I know that there's agencies out there that just, you know, putting people in position or whatever who don't have the experience and all of that, people who really doesn't have the heart for the people, right? I know that part. That's that goes without saying. But what I'm saying is if you are in a position and you have a responsibility to meet productivity or meet clients and provide client care. If you're providing that client care, you shouldn't even have to worry about productivity. I never had to worry about productivity when I had a caseload because my heart is for the people. When I asked my class classes, I said, why are you going into the field of social work? A hundred percent of the individuals say, because I want to help people. And so I'm saying, don't get in the position and forget why you got there. Because if you want to help people, you're going to do what you need to do. You're going to, you know, do that chase because some in some positions you have to chase clients because some of them don't want the help. Right. You have to be creative to make change attractive. You have to be able to build that rapport and um, make yourself seem um, desirable. Literally, I have people wanting to come and see me two and three times a week because they knew I cared. They really didn't care how much I knew. They just knew I cared. And that's what was important to the population. And that was um, what helped me to climb the ladder and succeed in the field. So when I'm talking about um, making a living while we're making a difference, remember this. You have to be making a difference. (laughs) You hear that? Like literally, you have to be making a difference. A lot of us want to make a living, but we don't want to make a difference. Like when you look at your life, when you look at what you've been doing, ask yourself the question, have I made a difference? Have I made a difference in the life of this individual? Have I made a difference in the life of this agency? Have I made a difference? See, the hard part is really doing the self-assessment. The self-assessment. And so some people think, you know what? I don't want to work for other people. You know what? I just want to go into private practice. And that is cool, right? But even in private practice, the question becomes, are you making a difference? And so one of the questions that was asked to me is, um, what's the first step in opening up a private practice? And my answer was, well, of course you want to, you know, um, get an LLC or figure out whether you want to, you know, LLC or you want a nonprofit organization, the name, what are you specializing in? I'm sorry. I don't know why I said nonprofit, but um, you want to really see, okay, what's the name? What, what would be my specialty? Will I be focusing more on trauma, um, family therapy? Will it be you? You know, and really identify those things first and then um, go and get your EIN number. And and that's a whole list of um, things that you will have a whole list, right? Steps of things that you um, need to do. But what I want to share, and that's why I didn't want to go into all those steps, because what I want to share is this. I wouldn't recommend 
individuals coming straight from, you know, college or graduation and going into starting their own private practice. There's some things that I had to learn working for someone else that helped me to be successful working. Ooh, y'all. That y'all about to have me preach. But there's some things that I that I learned working for someone else that has made me successful working for myself. Selah. Ponder and think about that. And so there's those are some of the steps, right? Because I could have just went straight from school, had limited understanding of um, this whole thing of social work. Because for real, what, what we... What we're taught in school, I mean, Erickson and, you know, all of those different theories, that's cool. But what I learned is that the majority or the major learning was me working for someone else. Really understanding how to do assessments. Really understanding what a treatment plan really is all about. Like, it's not about setting the goals, the objective, and um, the intervention. But it's making that document working. It's a living document. They didn't teach me that in school. So it's a lot of things that I um, learned on the job that prepared me from what I'm doing now. So consider that. Consider that. Now, if you are, uh, if you have already been working for someone else and you're just like, okay, you're looking for something else and you're saying, I want to start my private practice. Yes, I have a podcast. I have a program that's designed with you in mind. Absolutely. But for today, I really want to just really process like the hard part, the hard part. Again, self-discipline, because you can get into private practice. There's still notes that you have to do in order for billing to take place. So if you're lazy with the notes while you're working for someone else, don't think you won't be lazy with the notes when you're working for yourself. Because it's a level of self-discipline on both ends. And even though in your mind you can think, oh, no, I'm going to do my notes because I know that's how I'm going to get paid and this and that. Well, how about this? When you're working for someone else, when you're doing the notes, that's how they get paid. So it's a mental thing, a mental challenge that must be um, realized. And so, again, paying attention to um, the hard part. You're getting through school. What's the hard part? Right? Right? Self-discipline is the hard part. And so um, one of the other questions they asked me was, um, are there any benefits to waiting to get your LISWS? Now, the LISWS is a licensed independent social worker with supervisor designation. So um, with that S, you can wait to get it, but it's not a lot um, that you need to do in order to get the S. And so, but there are huge benefits to getting your independent licensure, huge benefits. And the opening up your private practice is one of them. And so for those of you who are wondering Mm -hmm. if you should go on, you know, further for school, if you should take the test, I'm saying to you, if, even if, your city or state doesn't require you to have the licensure in order to practice. Unless you're actually doing exactly what you want to be doing for the rest of your life, I would definitely take the test. I'm working with someone now who position didn't require her to um, be licensed, but there's some other things that she desired to do now at this part of her life that requires her to be licensed. So now she's out of school five, 10 years 
And, you know, it's like, okay, now I got to go back and I have to take this license. And so I encourage you, if you are a social worker, you have your bachelor's in social work, go and take the LSW test. If you have your master's in social work, get the two years of supervision, take your LISW um, exam so you can have it, right? And then after you do that, um, based on your practice, the S comes. So that licensed independent social worker with supervisory designation just says that you're able to supervise other um, master level social workers so they can become independent social workers. That's what that S um, stands for or that S allows you to do. But as we're moving forward, there's a lot of things that you can do, even if you just um, have a bachelor's degree, but it's about being creative. Like you can still start your own business with a bachelor's degree. May not be a private practice, but you can offer um, life coaching. You can do, um, it's a lot of different um, areas that I've been working with individuals on who only have a bachelor's. And I hate to say only because I mean, I don't know what someone had to do to get that right. But who has a bachelor's degree um, and don't want to go back to school for anything else. And so I'm not here to discourage anyone to say, oh, you have to get a master's or no. I mean, trust me, there's things that you can do with a bachelor's where you can literally be free, right? Free and remove yourself from um, being underpaid and overworked, right? And so it's all about the information that you get. So depending on the information that you get will depend on what you do, right? Because if the information that you receive is, oh, with a bachelor's, you only, you're only able to work, um, make $15 an hour, maybe $20 an hour, then you're going to stay stuck there. But I'm saying to you, I want each and every person on under the sound of my voice, right? I want you to really think creatively. Look at what has happened during this pandemic. Look at what has happened. So one of the other things that I've done in my private practice, I started a women's empowerment group. With that women's or in that women's empowerment group is women from Trinidad, from Texas, from all over. And I'm stationed in Ohio from all over. They are they are able to link in or log in via Zoom. And I also have um, due to the pandemic, um, a few ladies that's actually in the in the office. So I limit that space to um, about 12 people. And so, um, but that was something unique that I, that I incorporated into the private practice. Number one, because people ask me, but number two, because I also understand the power of group dynamics, but that was something creative, right? And so I want you to begin to think of creative things that you can do. There may be some certificates that you would need to get some additional training without you having to go back to school. Okay, but it's about that outside the box thinking. If you're at a job and you're feeling stuck, I'm saying think outside the box because you don't want to be going into an agency where you're crying on the way to work. You're crying in the parking lot. Then you got to get out. You got to wipe your face and then have your, your face on when you're helping someone else. And I had to do that for a season. Right. I had to. But the thing is, is that I never lost sight of my mission. And my mission was always to help other individuals realize the the that change was possible. So even if I had, you know, um, crazy supervisors. Right. Um, it didn't stop me 
or didn't block my vision. And so, yes, it was times where I had to go into the bathroom and scream and cry and wash my face, pour water on my face or whatever, and then get back out and tell that client that they can make it. You know why I was able to do that? Because even though it was toxic in my environment, I was telling myself that I can make it. And I did. And I did. And so I believe um, a famous quote that says, he who believes he can and he who believes he can't are both right. The question that I have for you that's listening to this podcast today, do you believe you can? That's the question. So thank you for listening. Stay tuned to more episodes. I promise you, I'm going to give you what I have. And if I miss a week, know that it's because I've been pulled somewhere else. But I have not forgotten about you. If you want to connect, send me an email. Reach out if you're curious about the Women's Empowerment Group. And that's something you would like to join. Reach out. I am a builder of leaders. So the women's empowerment group are filled with leaders. So it's not the women's empowerment group that you may be doing at your various agencies, but it's women that are in leadership, right? Who recognize that they too need to be poured into. So again, thank you for listening. It's your girl, LA. I am your six-figure social worker, and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, so I just wanted to come back for those of you who want to connect with me. You can connect with me on Facebook under Lashana Townsend. I still have my Facebook name under my maiden name. So Lashana Townsend, T-O-W-N-S-E-N-D. And at LA Speaks to You, LA Speaks, the number two and the letter U on Instagram. So again, thank you for tuning in. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And let me know how I can assist you on your journey in the field of social work.